President not quite elect Joe Biden has announced that his first order of business is to form a coronavirus task force to pretend to be doing something while the Trump administration distributes the vaccine they developed through their Project Warp Speed. Biden is assembling a team of very serious looking people to look very serious as the Trump vaccine is handed out, after which the task force will discuss the necessity of wearing the masks we no longer have to wear because under the Trump program, we've now developed a vaccine. Future former President Biden says it's very important to continue to seem to work on the Chinese virus because otherwise he might have to come out of the basement and then one of those scary people with microphones might ask him a difficult question. Although that's never happened before. Wannabe President Biden said he had to continue to pretend to be very serious about the Chinese virus because otherwise he would just have to go back to yelling slurred, incomprehensible words in the voice of an angry old man, which just makes him look silly when even he can't understand what he's talking about or why he's yelling like that all the time. The president in the minds of the media said, quote, the Chinese flu is a major issue. And if it's not a major issue, that's a major issue. For one thing, whenever I hear the word China, my eyes light up with dollar signs because I start thinking of that great, great deal Hunter made with them. And for another thing, I forgot the last thing, unquote. Make-believe President Biden further said that now that the main issue he used to scare voters into voting for a dithering and venal old hack was being pulled out from under him by the Trump vaccine, he would have to come up with new ways to scare voters, like suddenly shouting, look out for that spider or climate change is going to destroy the world. He says he's sure he'll think of something. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. We have returned laughing our way through the now imminent uh, fall of the Republic. Please go on YouTube and subscribe to the Andrew Claven channel. Hit that little bell and you will be alerted to new content coming over the channel uh, by a guy who looks strangely like me, except with a fake mustache uh, and a wig will show up at your home and hand you the content. Leave a comment. And if the comment is sufficiently ugly and disgusting, you know, mean, cruel, right wing, uh, we'll read it on the show because it'll fit right in with the rest of the commentary. We have a comment from James Collier who says, you can hear the Durham report hitting the bottom of a garbage can somewhere in the deep state. Uh, that's that's almost uh, not a joke. I think that that's true. What, what happened to the guy? You know, how could he let that just drag on like that uh, without? Well, never mind. <laughs> we'll find out. We'll find out after we dig it up uh, about 100 years from now. Uh, yesterday, I talked about the fact, and I do think it is a fact, uh, that this election marks a turning point in our battle against the empire of lies, by which I mean the academy, news media, and showbiz nexus that pushes the globalist agenda of corporate elites. I pointed out that after four years of lying and hysteria about Donald Trump, they did not detract any of his voters from them because his voters were listening to us and our friends at The Blaze and OANN and what used to be Fox News, the remnants of Fox News and other conservative outlets, or in the case of Fox, once conservative outlets. But I pointed out that the next phase is to push beyond the right-wing audience to the American people at large. And if you needed proof that was necessary, there's a new report from our friends at the Media Research Center. I'll just read you a little bit of it. Uh, quote, a new post-election poll from the Media Research Center conducted by McLaughlin and Associates shows 36 percent of Biden voters, 36 percent of Biden voters 
or not aware of the evidence linking Joe Biden to corrupt financial dealings with China through his son, Hunter. 13% of these voters, or 4.6 of Biden's total vote, say had they known these facts, they would not have voted for the former vice president. Such a shift away from Biden would have meant President Trump would have won the election with 289 electoral votes, unquote. Now, I'm not sure if it would have made the difference, but it certainly would have made a difference, as this poll shows. I can't remember. I, li- I, I literally cannot remember. And I can remember just about everything uh, except my f- last name. But uh, I can remember just about everything. But I cannot remember the media so completely, so corruptly, so openly conspiring to hide a legitimate news story like Biden's corruption that was on Hunter Biden's laptop uh, before. I can't. I mean, I know they used to hide things like, you know, John F. Kennedy having affairs, but that was kind of a consensus of what was news and what wasn't news. Uh, this was just corruption. This is just pure corruption. They did it this time. They did it with a vengeance. While the story did reach 50 percent of the people, it should have reached all of them. It should have uh, filled up the news. But they learned their lesson from Hillary Clinton losing over her email scandal. If we want to break the stranglehold, these lying pieces of humanity have on information, we're going to have to create educational entertainment and new spaces in which we can speak honestly, but in ways that centrists can understand. I don't think Hannity is going to be reaching the the mainstream. The left, meanwhile, is going to try and prevent us from going mainstream by threatening publishers and other outlets with boycotts if they even dare to work with us, if they let us speak at all. That's the point of what they do. It's the point is to make us untouchables so that we can't speak without shouting. And when we shout, of course, we make ourselves unacceptable to a certain number of people. So I'm going to say this now and then tell you I told you so and no one listens to me. We've got to build our own venues and outlets, publishers, studios, social media, even educational systems, all of it, to allow us to speak softly and clearly and honestly, but to tell the truth. The battle for America is not going to be won in the streets, no matter what the left thinks. It's going to be won in the minds of a new generation, or it's not going to be won at all. Hard to believe, but Christmas is coming. You want to think about what you're going to get me. And one of the things, you know, because who else would you give a present to? One of the things you might think about is getting a portrait from Paint Your Life. Paint Your Life, you can take a picture to them, a photograph to them, and they will turn it into a painting. Uh, you can choose with a team of world-class artists and work with them until every detail is perfect and get a beautiful portrait of me that you can send to me right here. You can choose your artist. You can order a custom-made, hand-painted portrait in less than five minutes minutes. It's a quick and easy process and you'll get the portrait in about three weeks. I did it. It actually is great. And okay, you might not want to give it to me. You might want to give it to somebody you actually know, but you can do anything you want. You can get pictures of pets, pictures of kids, pictures of landscapes, whatever you want. They will turn it into a painting, which really does look nice. At paintyourlife.com, there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed, and right now is a limited time offer. You can get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word Andrew to 64000. That's Andrew to 64000. Text Andrew to 64000. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. One of the biggest jobs, I have to tell you, that the right-wing news media has is remembering is keeping memory alive. Because what you're going to see now, what you're seeing already, uh, is what I call the great forgetting. You know, suddenly, all of a sudden, like that, we're going to forget 
everything that the left has been doing for these last four years as if they have behaved like just angelic, you know, emanations of constitutional governance. Here, just to give you a sample, is Whoopi Goldberg telling us how and who, who, who of us, who of us among us doesn't turn to Whoopi Goldberg to find out how sh we should behave. But here's Whoopi Goldberg telling conservatives how they should behave as cut 11. When you know who was elected four years ago, you know, Hillary Clinton didn't say, hey, wait a minute, this doesn't feel right. Stop the count. She didn't say this isn't right. I'm not going for it. she didn't say any of that. So all of you suck it up. Suck it up like we sucked it up. And if you are not sure that you're comfortable with Joe Biden, do what we did. Find things and then take it to the law. And if the law says it's something to look at, look at it. But from now on, suck it up. <laughs> We're going to get to Hillary Clinton and what she said in just a minute. But first, let's remember all the other stuff, the Russian collusion stuff and the Ukraine impeachment. You know, did anybody mention this during the debates, the coll Russian collusion or Ukraine impeachment? Anybody mention that Brett Kavanaugh is a serial rapist who's probably still running around, going on ships, lining up at doors at the gangbang uh, clubs that he was uh, attending in their imaginations? Remember Stormy Daniels and Michael Avenatti, who was going to be president of the United States. Remember all that stuff? Not Whoopi. She doesn't. But we are not going to forget. We're not going to forget and we're not going to move forward uh, in within ignorance of what they did. OK, but but this is another important point about what I want to talk about. We are going to move forward. We are going to move forward. Obviously, fight the fight, fight the fight in the courts. Maybe you can overturn the election. Like I said yesterday, it's going to be a hard climb, but maybe you can do it. Fight the fight. But we're going to have to move forward. And this is the thing. It's hard to remember without becoming bitter. It's hard to remember without being per perennially angry. And that is something like I'm not willing to do. I'm not going to live my life, even under a Joe Biden pre uh, presidency, constantly bitter, constantly uh, annoyed at the lies being spewed by The New York Times, a former newspaper uh, or NBC or CBS or ABC. We get it now. We get it. They lie. They're corrupt. They're the representatives of corporations. They have nothing to do with the people. They have nothing to do with the Constitution. They don't like the Constitution. All their talk about protecting our democracy from Trump, all of it lies, 100 percent lies. But if we build venues where we can speak, then we can live in the truth. And we're not going to spend four years of the Biden administration, uh, you know, miserable. Because if we do that, they'll have won a true victory, a victory far greater uh, than than just an election. So. Let's let us go back. Let us a little bit of a walk down memory lane. I'll start by reading uh, the great McGurn, Bill McGurn in The Wall Street Journal. He's talking about Biden's call for unity. And by the way, I think Biden was right to have a call for unity. That's what the president has to say. I'll be president of all the people. He has to say those things. But that doesn't mean that we can just sit there and forget all the things that happened. And, and Bill McGurn in the journal says, if Mr. Biden means it, he will need to show it. He might start by stating that there's no place in his administration for anyone who joins in Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's call for a de facto blacklist of Trump supporters, which she did call for. And it's just amazing to me that this bartender who was put into Congress uh, went from a bar, attending bar to being in Congress, has become a, a communist uh, thug. He goes on to say this might upset some of Mr. Biden's supporters, but that's leadership. It's essential, even if Mr. Trump and some of his supporters make it no easier by insisting after the litigation is exhausted and the results certified that Mr. Biden hasn't been legitimately elected. 
wherever would Mr. Trump and his supporters get such an idea not to believe in an election? Maybe from those who spent the past four years undermining the legitimacy of the Trump presidency. And he then goes to Hillary Clinton. Now, remember what Whoopi Goldberg said? Hillary Clinton didn't go around saying I didn't win. This is Hillary Clinton in 2019, three years, three years after she lost the election, cut nine. He knows he's an illegitimate president. He knows, he knows that there were a bunch of different reasons why the election turned out the way it did. And I take responsibility for those parts of it that I should, but Jane, it was like applying for a job and getting 66 million letters of uh, recommendation and losing to a corrupt human tornado. And so I know that he knows that this wasn't on the level. I don't know that we'll ever know everything that happened, but clearly we know a lot and are learning more every day and history will probably sort it all out. So of course he's obsessed with me. (laughs) He's obsessed with her. Yeah. Okay. You know, Bill McGurn goes on, says Jimmy Carter, June 2019, three years. There's no doubt that the this is Carter speaking. There's no doubt that the Russians did interfere in the election. And I think the interference, though not yet quantified, if fully investigated, would show that Trump didn't actually win the election in 2016. He lost the election and he was put into office because the Russians interfered on his behalf. Asked if that meant he regarded Mr. Trump as an illegitimate president. Mr. Carter said yes. In January 2017, Gerald Nadler said he was boycotting Mr. Trump's inauguration because the president wasn't legitimate. During impeachment, another effort to reject the 2016 election, Speaker Nancy Pelosi said the House had no choice but to act because Mr. Trump was trying to corrupt once again the election for his benefit, not to mention the ridiculous attempt to paint a candidate who attracted more minority votes than any Republican in recent history as a champion of white supremacy. And finally, Mr. Biden piled on with the rest of them when he was asked if uh, when he was asked by a voter if Trump was an illegitimate president. He said some a voter said to him, Trump was an illegitimate president. In my mind, Biden's response was, I absolutely agree. All right. So this suck it up stuff, you can suck that up yourself, you know, because this is it's unbelievable that we are now supposed to go through the great forgetting of all the stuff that we went through. And, you know, and and maybe we should just make Michael Avenatti. Is he in prison still? I can't remember whether he's still in prison. Let him out and let him be president. One more, just one more thing to read to you. Jared Baker, another excellent columnist of The Wall Street Journal, wrote this. If there's a single image that captures the hollow hypocrisy of these pleas for unity and healing. It was one I witnessed on the streets of Manhattan on Saturday in the minutes after the television networks had anointed Mr. Biden president-elect. Jubilant crowds dancing joyfully in front of stores that had been boarded up in advance of the election in case the result went the other way. It was a neat little tableau of the protection racket ethos that has defined American politics for the last four years. Vote for us so we can dance and celebrate. Vote against us and we'll burn down your business and steal your property. We do not forget this. We're not going to forget it. And again, 
I, I'm not going to live in bitterness. I'm not going to live in hate. I know who the press is. I know the press are now completely incredible. They n- no longer have any credibility whatsoever. So I'm not going to I'm not going to sit and clutch my heart about it all the time. But I am going to remember. Let's take Ben Rhodes. Now, here's Ben Rhodes, right? This is the guy who said that we sold that they sold Obama's Iran deal. He was Iran, uh, Obama's aide. And he said we sold the Iran deal on the ignorance of reporters. He said all these newspapers used to have foreign bureaus. Now they don't. They call us to explain to them what's happening in Moscow and Cairo. They literally know nothing. He laughed about this and the press laughed with him. Boy, you pulled one over on us. And now Ben Rhodes is on television explaining to Nicole Wallace, a woman he obviously thinks is just as ignorant as the rest of the press, what they've been doing to get what they're doing, what Biden is doing to get the transition going. This is cut 20. The center of political gravity in this country and the world is shifting to Joe Biden. Foreign leaders are already having phone calls with Joe Biden talking about the agenda they're going to pursue January 20th. If that reality hasn't sunk in yet for some people in the White House, it will sink in when they have to leave on January 20th. They're having phone calls with foreign leaders. Now, we all remember that Michael Flynn, remember, when President-elect Trump was coming into office, General Michael Flynn, who was going to be his national security advisor, had a phone call with the Russian ambassador, Sergei Kislyak, right? And we remember what happened to him. That was a violation of the Logan Act. Remember the Logan Act? The Logan Act is what it, the Logan Act is this John Adams, I think it goes back to. It's it's never been used to prosecute anyone. It's almost certainly unconstitutional. It's been ignored through most of this. But suddenly the FBI, knowing Michael Flynn didn't lie, was at his door and was accusing him of lying about it uh, because Flynn got some of his facts wrong about the thing he's talking. He's been fighting not to go to prison because they he confessed to lying to the FBI because they threatened uh, to prosecute his son. Dianne Feinstein was saying that this proved that that Trump should be investigated. This is right. Trump hasn't even taken office. He's just taken office at this point. This is Dianne Feinstein explaining to Chuck Todd that Michael Flynn's conversation with Sergei Kislyak implicates Donald Trump in this in what should be investigated. Cut 21. I do not believe that General Flynn was a rogue agent. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that on his own um, conclusion he would go out and try to tell the Russians in two instances, once uh, to uh, stop a national security resolution going through the United Nations regarding Israel and on the sanctions that President Obama had just put in, urged that they not be tampered with by the transition committee, and that he would go in on his own and attempt to tamper with them, uh, with Russia. I just don't believe that. I think he had to have been directed. Now, whether uh, the special counsel can find that evidence or not, whether we can, I don't know yet. But I see that that's where this is going. So Michael Flynn makes a phone call to the Russian ambassador, Diane Feinstein, who I think was head of the judiciary, judiciary. They're launching an investigation. Chuck Todd is, is the president under investigation, Senator Feinstein. This is at the beginning of the Trump administration. And now these clowns, these bozos, these lowlifes, this trash is going to tell us. I mean, that, of course, is the network that buried the Harvey Weinstein story. So we know who they are. We know who they all are. Now they're going to tell us, oh, you know, suck it up. 
buttercup, suck it up like we did. We sucked. You didn't hear anything from Hillary Clinton. Suck it up. We do not forget. That is not the way this is going to go. And we now have a media that can respond. And we now have a media that can remember. And again, you know, well, let's let's hear from apex predator cocaine Mitch McConnell, who said this on the Senate floor yesterday. Cut seven. Let's not have any lectures, no lectures about how the president should immediately cheerfully accept preliminary election results from the same characters who just spent four years refusing to accept the validity of the last election and who insinuated that this one would be illegitimate too if they lost again, only if they lost. So let's have no lectures on this subject from that contingent. In late August, Secretary Hillary Clinton said, quote, Joe Biden should not concede under any circumstances. When Speaker Pelosi was shopping some conspiracy theory about the Postal Service, she recklessly said, quote, listen to this, I have no doubt that the president will lie, cheat, and steal to win the election. Now, does this sound like a chorus that has any credibility whatsoever to say a few legal challenges from President Trump represents some kind of crisis? (laughs) <laughs> that's telling him, Mitch, he should. And, and that's exactly what all of us should be saying right now. So here's a true story. Something really happened to me long, long time ago. I was with my son, Spencer, no relation. He was a little tiny kid. We were in a movie theater. Uh, we went to the men's room. And while we were in the men's room, he started playing with the uh the hand dryer, you know, the blower, because he was so small, he was underneath the blower and he was kidding around, looked up, smacked into it with his head, split his skull wide open. One of the scariest moments of my life took him to the hospital and they're looking at him, examining him, and they're asking me questions. And suddenly I start to realize they're asking me questions about whether I did this, about whether I was being violent with my kid, which of course I would never be. It's a scary, scary moment. Wondery and NBC News are doing a show called Do No Harm. And this is the terrifying true story of a family that is torn apart by the system that's supposed to protect them. Investigative reporter Mike Hixenbaugh chronicles what happens to the Bright family when their three kids are ripped away from them and the shocking moments that came next with exclusive audio captured as the events unfolded. Do No Harm takes you inside the most harrowing moments of the Bright family's fight to protect their children. It is a scary, scary thing that can happen very quickly. Subscribe to Do No Harm on Apple Podcasts. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen one week early and ad free. You know, Apex Predator Cocaine Mitch has emerged from this administration as a hero. And I want to make a a point for conservatives about how conservatives should behave when we're being lied to like this. And then we're told to forget all the lies. We're told to forget the four years of impeachment of, you know, Russian collusion of Stormy Daniels, of uh, Brett Kavanaugh's a rapist, all that stuff. We're just supposed to say that that never happened. You guys have been absolute. You guys guys have been like Lincoln on the dollar bill, you know, on the five dollar bill. You guys have been like the picture of constitutional uh, prudence and, you know, statesmanlike behavior. And we it's It is we, we who in questioning your crazy cheating and your lousy rules and your sudden rule changes uh, and your use of the uh, pandemic to have people voting in all kinds of crazy ways. We we questioning that we're the bad guys. Not not happening. But but when I say we we shouldn't become bitter and we shouldn't become angry over this, but we should just move forward in the truth. 
There's some other stuff we should remember because a lot of us and, you know, we're frustrated with Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell has emerged from this as a hero. You know, the hero shot in the movie where the the guy comes striding out of the the cloud of smoke uh, and he emerges, uh, you know, victorious. That's (laughs) it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe that a guy like Mitch McConnell is that guy. But he is that guy. And one of the things he did, one of the things he did was preserve the filibuster. When a lot of us were saying he shouldn't have done that, and he had the respect for the institutions saying basically what one party can do, the other party can do. And since one party removed the filibuster for judges, every judge but the Supreme Court, it was all right to to remove the filibuster for the Supreme Court. That was following in their footsteps and letting them know that he was going to retaliate. But we should also remember there are people on the other side, there are moderates on the other side who will defend the institutions as we fear they might go, uh, as we fear they might be destroyed by the left if, for instance, we lose in Georgia and we lose the Senate majority, which would be terrible. It would be terrible for Biden. It would be terrible for the country. Hopefully the people in Georgia are going to get smart and show up and not going to stay at home and not going to shrug it off. And they're going to show up for the runoffs because here is um, is Joe Manchin from West Virginia famously moderate uh, senator because he's in a kind of right wing state. So he has to kind of play both sides. Here he is talking to Brett Baer about the fact that even if even if the Democrats take the majority in the Senate, he and others will not necessarily follow the radical agenda. This is cut five. When they talk about whether it be packing the courts or ending the filibuster, I will not vote to do that. I will not vote to pack the courts, I think, and I will not vote to end the filibuster. Brett, this system, the Senate was so unique body in the world, it was made to work together in a bipartisan way. And once you start breaking down those barriers, then you lose every every reason that we are the institution that we are, the most deliberate body. So I want to lay those fears to rest, that that won't happen because I will not be the 50th Democrat voting to end that uh, filibuster or to basically uh, block, uh, stack the court. And then all the other things you're hearing about, Brett, also is defund the police. I don't know of any of the Democrats in the caucus that are for defunding the police. We're not for that whatsoever. And when they talk about basically uh, Medicare for all, we can't even pay for Medicare for some. Doesn't make any sense at all. We've got to fix the Affordable Care Act we have, and I think our Republican, moderate Republicans, will work with us to now repair what needs to be repaired. You know, when you talk like that, you have to remember there are still people in the Senate who are thinking that way. Mitch McConnell is often one of them. He did what he could do when when he saw the opening that Trump made for him in the line, in the defensive line. He went through that opening with all those judges appoint, judge appointments. But but he maintained some of the integrity of the institution. We have to hope that guys like Joe Manchin will, because by the way, the guy running in Georgia in the runoff, Raphael uh, Warnock, he was asked if he would pack the court. And here's his response is cut two. If Democrats take majority, there would be court packing um, on the Supreme Court or the federal benches, as well as statehood approved for D.C. and Puerto Rico. So I wanted to ask what what your stance is on those, you know, three kind of issues. I, I think that they're trying to divide us again. And it's really sad because uh, at the end of the day, uh, e pluribus unum, out of many one. That's the covenant we have with one another as an American people. I support that. I believe in it with all my heart. And I'm going to stand up and defend it. 
But do do you think that the you know with Amy Coney Barrett now on the Supreme Court, would you want to see the court expanded? I'm really focused on representing the concerns of ordinary people here in Georgia. <laughs> so, yeah, he packed that court like that, but he's just he's not he's just not answering that question at all. So you know where exactly where he stands. And let's hope the people in Georgia do as well. Again, you know, there's so much you know, politics does. It poisons everything. It can poison everything. This one, this incredible news that we were talking about yesterday about this vaccine, this vaccine that Pfizer is bringing out that they say is now 90 percent effective. It's just an amazing, amazing thing. Uh, and here's Pfizer's uh, CEO, Albert Aburla, has cut 14. It is a, a great day for science. It is a great day for humanity when you realize that uh, your vaccine has a 90% effectiveness. That's overwhelming. Uh, you understand that uh, the hopes of billions of people and millions and uh, businesses and hundreds of governments that were felt on our shoulders, now we can uh, credibly try them. I think we can see light at the end of the tunnel. It's it's an amazing thing. I mean, you got to pause for a minute before you get into the politics of it. You got to pause for a minute and think we do live in this world of wonders. All the abuse of science to sell climate change nonsense, which isn't science. All the abuse of science to tell people that you know men can become women and all this all this garbage. Uh, you know, science is still a wonderful servant of mankind when it is used properly. I, you know, I'm old enough to remember the AIDS crisis. I rem- I can remember to this day reading a tiny little. The piece in the New York Times, which was back then was a newspaper, and uh, it was a little thing about how gay people were dying, and they thought it was because of some kind of uh, sniffer they were using during sex. Uh, that was some kind of weird speculation they had, and it was just this tiny little uh, semi-column, and I remember reading it to my wife and saying... That doesn't sound good. That sounds like a bad thing. And then within months, like friends of mine were dying and it was a horrible death. It was a horrible, slow death. When you got the diagnosis, it was just like being told you were going to the death chamber and nothing could save you and nothing did. And uh, people, you know, famous people, all of the theater was gutted because there's so many gays working in the theater. Uh, So many people were just dropping because they didn't. It took them by surprise. And it took years and years and years of scientific know-how to at least put together a cocktail of drugs that keeps people alive now uh, and keeps them fairly uh, well off. And just think of the difference here. I mean, this is a coronavirus. When it started, people were saying, oh, that's like the cold, the common cold. You'll never have a vaccine for this. But the combined might of uh, the scientific brain in this world, really, it's in the, not just in the it's in the West, uh, it just did this instantaneously. You got to pause for a minute uh, and do a happy little dance that this is a possible thing uh, that, that we can now do. The thing that, you know, that, that makes it toxic is now people are trying to say that this had nothing to do with Donald Trump. It had nothing to do with warp speed. Uh, even somebody at Pfizer themselves said we have never taken money from the U.S. government or for anyone. That is absolute nonsense. They took over, uh, I, I think, $1.95 billion, I'm, I'm, I think it is, uh, they took plenty of money when they stopped, started it. They said this is part of um, this is part of Operation Warp Speed. Of course, Trump deserves the credit for it. Uh, here's Chuck Schumer at least sounding for one moment. Chuck, I'm going to change America. Schumer uh, for one moment sounding like he understands this. Cut 17. We Democrats will do everything we can 
to make sure this vaccine or any vaccine is distributed quickly, fairly, equitably. And the challenge is now one of scale and one of delivery. Congress should fund a national vaccination program. And the administration, whether it's the Trump administration or the Biden administration, must do everything to reach minority and underserved communities, combat vaccine hesitancy, and ensure that the vaccines are free to everyone. Now, let's compare that to Andrew Cuomo, the hero governor of uh, New York, who saved so many people by killing so many people with his incompetence. Here's what he had to say is cut one. Why do we have such a disparity in the infection rate and mortality rate in COVID? Because some communities uh, don't have the same access to health care. I'm sure the Biden administration is going to address that. I think his first step saying let's focus on the science, let's depoliticize testing data. Uh, listen to the science is the exact opposite of Trump. But uh, you have two months and we can't let this vaccination plan go forward the way the Trump administration is designing it because Biden can't undo it two months later. We'll be in the midst of it. Uh, and I'm going I've been talking to governors across the nation about that. Uh, how can we shape the Trump administration vaccine plan to fix it or stop it uh, before it does damage? If he, if he stops the distribution of this for political reasons, it, it will, I truly believe it will end his career right where he is. And I hope it does. But that's the thing. Politics makes everything toxic. We can't become toxic. That is not the way we are going to behave. So here's something new. You know how the price of gold has been skyrocketing lately? There is now a new way to buy gold through a company called Acre. Acre lets you subscribe to gold bars for as little as 30 bucks a month. You pay each month, and once your gold stash reaches the price of their gold bars, they discreetly ship Acre Gold to your house. Acre lets you invest in physical gold without coming out of pocket all at once. Acre keeps you updated on your gold stash every month and ships once you reach the price threshold. With Acre, taking physical delivery of your gold means it's safe and sound in your hands. Acre ships your gold directly and discreetly to your door. Visit Get acregold.com slash Claven and start investing in physical gold today. Make sure you go to this URL because Acre is giving away a gold bar. That is actually what I said. They are giving away a gold bar to qualify for the giveaway. Tweet or post why you should be the recipient and mention getacregold.com slash Claven. That's getacregold.com slash Claven. They support the show. You can support the show, but only if you know how to spell Claven. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. No ease. Uh, tomorrow is mailbag day. So you want to subscribe at dailywire.com and <laughs> you, you, that's what you want to sound like. By the end of mailbag day, you want to sound like that crazy woman, uh, screaming. <laughs> it's my friend. I'm not, that's my friend Lindsay screaming. Um, but here's what you do. You go on to subscribe dailywire.com. Then you go to the podcast page. You go to the Andrew Claven podcast. You go to the little mailbag image there and you can ask me anything you want. You can ask me about politics. You can ask me about your personal life. You can ask me about religion, anything you want. And all my answers are guaranteed 100 percent correct. If you ask, we will send you the written guarantee. I'm lying now, but, I, you know, we will pretend to do that. And my answers are guaranteed 100 percent correct and they will change your life. Now, some of you may say, will they change my life for the better? And shut up. Just send in your questions and get your answers and just be happy with that for 
crying out loud. What are you, some kind of right winger or something? Uh, so go on, subscribe. Tomorrow is Mailbag Day. I want to hear your questions. And if you want to send a video question, please do. We love video questions, but just keep it under a minute because we don't have time to edit it ourselves. Go on to dailywire.com and subscribe. So as always, so much of this centers around the media, because obviously it's the media that works in its corrupt and completely dishonest way to spread whatever the Democrats are selling at any given moment. Uh, And the distortion is just insane, which brings up the question, what the hell is happening at Fox News? Uh, I don't know if it was the removal of Roger Ailes. Remember Roger Ailes? It was suddenly found out that people in power in the news business sometimes use their power uh, to uh, get sex out of women. And suddenly Roger Ailes, you know, I, I actually saw the movie about Roger Ailes, what was it called Bombshell, uh, which is interesting. It was an inter- interesting movie, actually, because it made Megyn Kelly the hero of the piece. So you actually got a fairly conservative hero. Which was which was interesting, but then it was all basically this you know rant against Fox News, and just amazing to me that you know now that movie was made about a Roger Ailes and H was it HBO? No, it was one of the major cable stations that made one about Roger Ailes. So two movies about Roger Ailes, but nothing about Harvey Weinstein, nothing about all the left wingers, Matt Lauer, uh, nothing about the fact that uh, ABC killed the Jeffrey Epstein story, nothing about Jeffrey Epstein. Oh yeah, there was one about Jeffrey Epstein. I take it back. So so it is amazing that this is the focus, but now he, you know, he's gone he, and he died, obviously. And, uh, and Fox is losing its way. And I, one of the reasons may be because Rupert Murdoch, I've always, I, you know, I've been pounding this drum for 20 years too, that Rupert Murdoch isn't going to live forever. Uh, his kids are not what he is. They're not, you know, strong, conservative minded people. They, one of them is married, uh, James Murdoch. I think it is. His wife is a big, uh, lib Murdoch actually, uh, stepped down from the Fox News board. But, you know, somewhere along the line, Fox News is losing its way and it's going to cost them the way they called Arizona for Biden before anybody else has. I don't think Arizona is still in Biden's column, uh, but Fox News called it. How do they, you know, how are they, how do they justify that? How do they justify their coverage? The other day, was it yesterday, I think, Neil Cavuto was covering Kaylee McEnany and Kaylee McEnany was saying, you know, only one party basically creates the situation where they can cheat in in voting, which is absolutely true. And this was Cavuto's reactions. Cut 12. We want to protect the franchise of the American people. We want an honest, accurate, lawful count. We want maximum sunlight. We want maximum transparency. We want every legal vote to be counted and we want every illegal vote. To whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I just think we have to be very clear. She's charging. Uh, the other side is welcoming fraud and welcoming illegal voting. Unless she has more details to back that up, I can't in good countenance continue showing you this. Th- that may be the stupidest thing. And I kind of like Cavuto. You know, I like his, his show. That may be one of the stupidest things any so-called journalist has ever said. Politics is a tough game, right? And politics ain't beanbag. They've been throwing, hurling uh, invective at us and charges at us and accusations at Donald Trump for four years. Invective gets thrown both ways in a political fight. 
This is a political fight. Kayleigh McEnany is a spokeswoman for the president. You don't cut her off because your delicate sensibilities uh, can't stand the, the fight of politics because she hasn't produced yet what she it's not her job to produce the evidence that uh, is going to go into court. It's, it's absurd. It's absurd. You know, my friend John Nolte over at Breitbart has been going after Fox. John is one of the best observers of the media there is. He very early on, he and I have talked a lot about this, that he and I both kind of got into this fight because we couldn't stand the lies that were coming down the pike and got into it about the same time. Nolte is, uh, you know, just a warrior when it comes to this. And he's gone after Fox News for a long time. He's told people, cut the cable, do not watch Fox News, abandon it. And people are starting to do that now. You know, there's another another incident like this. Over the weekend, Sandra Smith, a, a Fox anchor, was on with Trace Gallagher, and Trace Gallagher was interviewing the conservative attorney, Cleta Mitchell, or Cleta Mitchell, and Sandra Smith thought she was off, and there was a hot mic, and you could hear her reacting to what uh, Mitchell was saying. Here's that clip. This is cut 13. Whoever is decided to be the president, remember, just because CNN says, or even Fox News says that somebody's president, doesn't make them president. So I think everybody what? wants to know that this was done properly mm. and legally. What is happening? We like, trace, we've results. called it. Trace, we've called it. See, that she was referring to the part in the Constitution where it says cable news gets to declare the president. Uh, and once they've declared the president, there's no questioning that. That's in the Constitution right next to the right to abortion. You just have to hold it up to the light and just, you know, when the light hits it just the way that way, you know, you maybe hold a match under it, uh, which I'm sure the left would love to do. And uh, then those words come out that Fox News cable channels get to call the election. That's the problem. That is the problem. I mean, that if we're going to see this, if we're going, you know, <laughs> I, I, look, there are people, there are crazies on the right. We all know this. They're crazies on the right, crazies on the left. Our crazies tend to be in the comments section on Breitbart. Their crazies tend to be Nancy Pelosi. They tend to have powerful uh, jobs in the government. However, however, the fact that suddenly the opinions of the right can't be expressed anywhere, including Fox News, all that means now is that Fox News is going to be left in the dust. That's what it means. It it does not mean, oh, my God, you know, five years ago. Even four years ago, I would say we lose. I I was warning people, you know, I kept saying to people, you can't if we lose Fox News, we lose everything. If Rupert Murdoch, God love him, may he live a long time. But if he should fall down dead, we would lose everything. That's no longer true. It's not even true. I mean, I think the Wall Street Journal uh, news side is slipping. It's not even true. If we lose them, we'll lose everything because we are building stuff ourselves. And that is incredibly, incredibly important. One of the things that I think Donald Trump should be thinking about, and I don't know if he is or not, but he should be thinking about if he follows these legal challenges, if they don't work, if he is out of the presidency now, as that's the likelihood, right? Because it's an uphill battle. It's a very hard fight to, to win. He should start thinking about Trump TV. First of all, he would make a bloody fortune if he started Trump TV. I'm sure Hannity would jump ship in a minute. I'm sure any number of right-wing commentators would love to be on that channel. Mark Levin might even go over. I think Fox would be depopulated in moments and would just become another CNN, which nobody cares about another, uh, you know, already CNN, I think, beat them in the ratings in the election coverage because people don't trust them. Their polls were crap. Their questions were crap. John Roberts was asking about, you know, denied, asking Kayleigh McEnany about Will you deny white supremacy? Will you denounce white supremacy? And then complaining and whining when he, you know, when he was uh, 
shot down by Kaylee. You know, it just it's just ridiculous to have law. It's sad to have lost them. What, what their, what's their strategy? I know. Let's insult all our viewers and betray them. And then people will just flock. To it. It'll be like it'll be like if we build it, if we build. I, I have this great idea. If we build a cable news network that hates conservatives, the people will just flock to us like crazy. Trump should just take advantage of that opening, build Trump TV and blow them away. We're doing it. He can do it. And, you know, let's just compare for a moment. You know, when you wonder why conservatives are are so angry, when you wonder why conservatives fight so hard to keep their uh, TV, let's just take a look at Anderson Cooper discussing. (laughs) He's discussing the legal challenge to the election, comparing the legal challenge to the election to the dictator of the Congo when he was holding on to power. Let's cut four. In the mid-90s, I think it was like 96, I was in um, in Kinshasa uh, in the waning days of Mobutu. And Mobutu was a you know pretty awful dictator. And when he finally fled the country and the rebel, rebels were moving uh, to take the capital, his son drove around in a pickup truck with a machine gun and settling scores with people he felt had not been supported enough with Mobutu. Thankfully, it hasn't come to that here, but I can't believe we're in a situation where a, you know, a transfer of power is not, we're, we're, I can't believe we are in this situation here. <laughs> I can't believe it. He's never seen anything like it before. Nobody ever did. Suck it up, buttercup. Now, you know, no one ever has ever seen a challenge to an election before. No one has ever called an election illegitimate before. This is amazing. Amazing. That is the problem. These guys are living in a fake universe of their own creation. And if Fox is going to go into that universe, bye-bye, because we're going to stay in the real world. I have to take a moment. We have not talked about this, but I have to take a moment to talk about the death of uh, Sean Connery, another like poke in the eye from 2020. Alex Trebek, the host of Jeopardy, also died. He was a a really fun presence on television, a sort of dignified uh, game show host who really ran what is, I think, one of the best game shows ever. Uh, But Sean Connery was one of the truly, truly great movie stars. There aren't that many of them. There are far fewer when you look back than you think there are in the moment. Many of them are just creations of magazines. Sean Connery was the real deal. I always love when they say who was the best James Bond because to say that Sean Connery was not the best James Bond is to say that Sean Connery was not the best Sean Connery because Bond was Connery. You know, Connery created that hero that all the other guys were just kind of, you know, what what's our take on Sean Connery's take? That's what they were doing. So Sean Connery was always the great Bond. Uh, his his cool, I mean, the way he the way he looked, the kind of the cruelty of his face that uh, went with the sort of romantic, you know, uh, chasing after women, but the kind of cruelty that made him made it easy for him to just shoot uh, guys when they were standing with their backs to him. It didn't matter. Daniel Craig came closest to capturing that in Casino Royale, but all he did, all Daniel Craig did in Casino Royale was do a very, very good Sean Connery. But Sean Connery left that franchise when he could have done it into his old age, uh, and he walked away from it. He came back to it once, and I think it was a film... Humorously called uh, Never Say Never Again because he came back after saying he wouldn't do it. But he wanted to do more serious stuff. And he did some films that were just terrific. He did a film called The Hill that was really good. Uh, he, he just was in some really good movies that, that just didn't get, obviously, the traction of uh, James Bond. But he wanted to do that with his life. He wanted to do better acting. And of course, he was in. Um, 
the wonderful film about uh, the wonderful David Mamet film about uh, Chicago, The Untouchables. But his greatest film, in my opinion, and even greater than James Bond, the James Bond films, though not as maybe, uh, you know, iconic, was The Man Who Would Be King. The Man Who Would Be King was made in 1975. It is a rewrite of a Rudyard Kipling story, but the Rudyard Kipling story is nowhere near, you know, Kipling is a great writer, and if you've never read Kipling, you should, but the Rudyard Kipling story is nowhere near as great as this film. If you haven't seen Sean Connery and Michael Caine in The Man Who Would Be King, you have missed one of the truly great adventure stories, and it is a boy's movie in a lot of ways, but it's not a movie that you can't, that your whole family can't enjoy. It really is good. I'll show you just one little uh, segment of it. When Sean Connery and Michael Caine as these two adventurers come to Rudyard Kipling, who's uh, played by Christopher Plummer, uh, the author becomes a character in the story, and tell them that they have a plan to become kings in Kafiristan. Here's that one cut. The less said about our professions, the better. But we have been most things in our time. We've been all over India. We know her cities, her jungles, her jails, and her palaces. And we have decided that she isn't big enough for such as we. Yes, that's what I understood the commissioner to say. Therefore, we are going away to another place oh. where a man isn't crowded and can come into his own. We're not little men, so we're going away to be kings. Kings of Kafristan. <laughs> it's a great, great movie. If you've never seen it, you have a real treat in store. Sean Connery is unbelievably great in it. His final scene in the movie is one of the great scenes in any movie. Uh, don't miss it. The man who would be king, a great actor, a true movie star, Sean Connery. 2020 sucks. That's it. Mailbag tomorrow. Get your questions in. All your problems will be solved on The Andrew Clavin Show. I am Andrew Clavin. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wadowski. Edited by Adam Saivitz and Danny D'Amico. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, or head and makeup, is by Nika Geneva. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Journos wail that Trump will not concede. Fraud turns up in swing states and AOC threatens to leave politics. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.